It's time to resist. They can't arrest us all. And they can't keep all your kids home from school. They can't keep every government building closed. We don't have to accept the mandates, lockdowns, and harmful policies of the petty tyrants and feckless bureaucrats. We can simply say no, not again. The only way to stop these mandates is to refuse to comply, refuse to show vaccine passports, refuse to wear a mask, refuse to stay at home. We will not comply with Fauci. We will not comply with Joe Biden. And we will not comply with authoritarian governors. I am not going to comply. This ends now.
Hello, friends. Welcome back to Freedom Gardens. We're going to learn a whole bunch of fun stuff today. I'm really excited. I've been digging into electroculture gardening, and I want to share it with you because next week we're tilling and planting. Um, I've already started cutting potatoes so I can plant those and starting seeds uh, indoors to put outside. Um, some things will plant directly into the ground. So uh, well, next week, Heather will be back with an update, but then the following week, we'll have a, all kinds of videos on planting and uh, what we're actually doing in the garden. But for now, while we're still doing research and planning, I uh, I wanted to share with you what I learned about electroculture. So it's going to be a lot of fun today. But before we get to that, I actually want to show you what I'm working with um, my garden here. So I've done quite a bit of work in the past week or so, two weeks. Um, so you'll see what I started with here and, uh, and we'll see the progress I've made and you can see the chickens and the ducks. So here we go. So go ahead and play this. Morning garden friends. So I wanted to show you guys what I'm working with. So you've seen this garden before and this is the row that I pulled up of, uh, beets and radishes and then carrots over here. My Brussels sprouts are doing well. I gotta harvest those. Celery needs a little bit more and these carrots over here need some more time. So while I am waiting for these to finish growing, I'm actually gonna plant some beets I think down this row since it's a 60-day crop and some turnips down that row since it's a 30-day crop. Um, while we get this side ready. So over here, obviously I have a lot to clean up. All that stuff's gotta go. All this stuff's gotta go. This is staying. So this is my herb bed. Um, I actually just moved plants from another herb bed into this one and it's gonna stay here. And uh, I'll plant a bunch of herb seeds in there. My salad bed, which I need to reseed as it's been pretty well eaten out. Salad's really good though. That was my old herb bed with the landscaping fabric on it. Now I'm going to use the wood for other things. And then this is mostly going to go. That broccoli right there and the one over there, I'm going to move over with the other broccoli. And all of this is going to be relocated. The only thing that's going to stay is this back here with the grape arbor and the lavender. So I'm gonna turn this row here into a second herb bed. And then I'm actually going to plant squash um, down this fence line here. We'll give it some good support so I can trellis it up. So yeah, a lot of work to do. And I've done a lot of work in the last week. So move on to the next one here. So yeah, it's a mess. Um, there's lots of trees around. I get lots of leaves down. And uh, I ended up actually letting the chickens out to help me turn the garden. So this was a lot of fun. This was their first time out. And they are hysterical. Good morning, chickens and ducks. How's everyone doing this morning? Hello. You guys want to come out and hang out? What do you think? 
my thing, I'm not let them explore out today. Why not? Gotta meet some stuff. Come on, guys. The guineas probably won't ever come back, but that's all right. Hello, ducks. And they've very much gotten used to being outside now. So every morning when I come out now, after just a couple of days, they are waiting for me and they rush out the gate. So, um, and, and go out and explore all over now. The ducks have not, the ducks have not left the garden area yet. Cause once they go in the pond, they're not going to come out. The guineas did get out and, um, Annie jumped the fence, my dear Irish setter. I fixed the fence so she couldn't get through it. And I fixed the fence again so she couldn't get under it. And I fixed the fence a third time so she couldn't get around it. And now she's just going over it. So I'm calling bullshit on her when she tells me that she can't get into the bed by herself because she got over the fence. No problem. Just up and over. Does it every day now. So uh, she got out and she chased the chickens around and they freaked out and the guineas wouldn't come back. Um, so the next morning... One of the guineas was inside the fenced area and the other guinea was decapitated because apparently they thought they were chickens because they didn't realize that they're supposed to fly up and roost. It's a rough one. Anyway, but we will use poor Tony to bait the alligator and have some alligator tail at some point when the weather gets warmer and the alligators start coming back into the lake. So um, here is the next one as they are out helping me turn the yard. So, I decided to let them out to play today. And they're having a grand old time. The first step to cleaning up the yard. Get the birds to do most of the hard work. Uh, so by the time we till it next week, it's it's actually going to be very easy so i left the birds alone out here for a while and they've been having a grand old time the ducks ate the mint down i was hoping they'd get those stems not sure they will though but they sure are loving that mint there huh they ate out the lettuce bed that's fine i'm going to be replanting that soon anyway and these guys are having a good old fashioned dirt bath right now while they're eating up that root system from the herb bed that was dug under, under there, which is exactly what I was hoping they would do. Look at them, they're just so happy. I will say it is the most relaxing thing to go sit outside and watch the chickens and the ducks. Um, but I mean, I just sit outside for, you know, as long as I need to because um, they're so much fun. So I started getting some things cleaned up here. So I'd say the birds and I got a lot done today. They sure did wreck the peas, but that's okay because I'm going to be pulling those pallets down. I pulled one down already, but all that is cleaned up. I use cold sheets as plant covers when it's going to frost, which it may one more time, so I'm leaving them out. But they were a little damp from the rain, so I hung them out to dry. And I pulled all the concrete blocks from around this bed. These guys have been having a blast. 
Cleaned all that up. Put all the leaves into the chicken coop so these guys can have fun playing in them and mulching them for me. Turn them into compost. Works great. And then go back in the yard for the garden. So, all in all, and they had a blast. I'd say a pretty successful day. So, and that's not actually as, uh, as hard as it looked. The chickens do so much of the work. Um, now we've taken to just, even whenever we mow the lawn, we've just put the grass cuttings right into the chicken coop and they mulch it. You know, they, they dig it up, they dig around in it and they tear it all up into little pieces and, um, turn it with the dirt. And then after we till it the first time, uh, I'm actually going to pull all of that good mulch leaf organic stuff out of the chicken coop and uh, put it into the garden and till it into there. So it'll give me a, a nice rich soil. And now they're, they're starting to have fun. They're starting to get out here. This was actually the day we lost the guinea, but. Where are you going, little girl? She's my explorer. She's not really supposed to be out here. But since I do want to get them to start going out of the garden and into the rest of the yard, I'm okay with her out here for now. Now, if you're wondering what these bags are here, why well, I have trash bags in the back of the chicken coop. Um, so I actually had three yards of compost delivered to me at the end of last growing season, uh, while it was still relatively inexpensive. And then the rains came. And so rather than lose all that good compost, I put it into large trash bags and I put it around places that I thought might flood. So basically used them as sandbags. Um, now, as I need the compost, I'm dragging the bag over and, you know, putting it in the herb bed or uh, wherever I, I need to fill it up. So it works great. I didn't lose the dirt and I can still use it and it saved the coop from flooding out at the same time. So seriously, I'm all about repurposing. Re I repurpose everything. It drives Mick nuts because I hate throwing anything away. But I wouldn't say I'm a hoarder. I just like to reuse things. Uh-oh, I didn't mean to startle you. There you go, go back to sleep, my duckies. Go back to sleep, duckies. Sweet duckies. They've gotten very used to being outside now. And this one is blueberry right here. Um, this big khaki Campbell male is Campbell. This little khaki Campbell female is khaki because not that original. Um, then this is Rebel. He's my third male. And then Muffin because she's always next to Blueberry. And Dolly's over here. So 
I love the ducks, but I am going to be putting them in the pond soon um, because there's some wood ducks in the pond right now. Uh, now that they're about to start laying and they're going to start laying here pretty soon. Um, as soon as they start laying and like find a spot, then I'll let them go in the pond so that they come back each night and uh, I'll still get duck eggs or we might have to go on some, you know, duck egg hunts. But since I have three males and three females, I'm thinking I'm going to get quite a few ducklings come the spring and that's going to be a lot of fun too. So whatever eggs I can collect, that's great. And, um, you know, ducklings are, are a blast too, but that's why we got to kill the gators. So, and here we go. Obviously I got a lot of work done in here now. So the chickens have made pretty decent work of turning the yard. They're still chewing on the Brussels sprouts there. But we'll be tilling it probably tomorrow. Look, Heather gave me a, a little wood thing I can use as a trellis. So yesterday I cut down some trees. I have these long skinny trees that grow themselves. They're about six feet tall and I stripped them and I put them over here because I'm going to use them as tomato steaks and pepper steaks and whatever needs a steak. So we'll do that out of wood from my yard because cut them down anyway. It's not what not. Hello chickens. We did lose a guinea yesterday because they didn't want to come in the night before. They didn't realize they could fly because they think they're chickens. And so early in the morning, a raccoon decapitated it. They have quite torn up the herb bed here. Um, I'm honestly not sure if these grapes are still alive. I'm going to have to cut them all the way back and see. I do still have a blueberry here that's going to start up, cut all the way back, and my lavender that I've got to cut back. So today, and then there's another grape down here. So we'll see if those are still alive. So today I'm actually going to put some bird netting over this since it's the only concrete bed I have left. It's going to be my herb bed. I'm going to fill those end spots with compost and dirt. I'm going to put some netting over it so that the chickens can't eat what's inside as it's growing. I'm going to plant some herb seeds and we'll go from there. And I did not end up telling the garden yesterday because it got freaking cold and, uh, and Mick was off and you know, that it happens sometimes. Um, so that is my goal for Monday. Since the children are off, since it's president's day, I am going to use the manual labor of children to till the garden and, um, start really helping me set that up. So, um, I'm really excited about using the wood from my yard for plant stakes and trellises and things like that and incorporating the copper wire to bring in the electroculture aspect of it as well. So um, let me show you guys what I did with the that bed. This is the last of my videos and then we'll get into the the learning portion of today's show. So All right, so my herb bed is covered and filled and planted. I'll show y'all what I did here. 
I actually opted to put um, a summer garden blanket over it. I'm gonna put some more clips on it here in just a second. But that way it lets the sunlight in and keeps the chickens out. So, we got here. Over here in the corner, we're gonna have a tarragon and then lemon balm. The grapes are gonna come back here. I got some nice new growth there when, uh, or some green stems when I cut them all the way back. I had a rosemary in the back that I went ahead and planted here. And then lavender that was already there. I also pulled the mint from my arrow garden and planted it out here. I would not recommend doing that with most plants, but honestly, mint can pretty much survive anything. So it should be fine. And then I've got more lavender planted in there. Um, lemon balm in with the other set of grapes and then catnip at the very end. So my little garden bed here, it's good to go. And it should keep this one out. Ooh, she wants in there so bad. It did keep her out. It kept all the chickens out and all the ducks out. They did not get in there at all, which was fantastic. Um, so, uh, and I am going to put some, some small stakes with some copper wire because, you know, you don't just have to go and, and buy like expensive copper wire from Home Depot or Lowe's or Maynard's or wherever you're, you know, Ace, wherever. Um, if you have like electrical wire floating around, strip the plastic cover off. That works too. So, um, you know, you can find copper wire in all kinds of places, but they do have like 25 feet of 18 gauge copper wire on Amazon for six bucks. So that's not a bad deal either. So let's, let's get into why we want to use that copper wire. This is, uh, absolutely fascinating and I've got foldies. So let's see, we're going to start with this. The benefits of copper in soil. And all of these videos that I'm playing um, came from YouTube. Obviously, the, the ones that I initially played came from my phone. Uh, but now everything going forward comes from YouTube. So it's, uh, it's not hard to find. I will be putting this video up on YouTube as well on Freedom Gardens. So if you guys don't follow me on Freedom Gardens on YouTube, um, every other week's show, the gardening show will go up on YouTube probably Monday. Um, of course, the alternate week shows with Heather where we're discussing more delicate, sensorable material, material I will not be putting on YouTube. That'll stay on Rumble, uh, Pilled, Foxhole, Cloud Hub, and uh, yeah. So, but this one will go up on YouTube. So let's talk about the benefits of copper in your soil. <laughs> One of the micronutrients we want you to take a look at on your farm is copper. That's our topic today. When it comes to copper, when we think about all the things that, that are functions within the plant, this is really where you want to look with micronutrients. And it's been interesting to me getting to know a lot of the highest yielding farmers around the country and around the world when they have an issue in their plant. And maybe it's, well, you know, my soybeans, the the seed coat on it isn't holding up very well. And when I handle my soybeans, I'm getting seed coats breaking off. 
Well, they start looking at micronutrients and what are some of the functions of these various micros? Copper, for example, has a function with seed coat flexibility. When you start getting really large size to soybean seeds, for example, well, those seed coats just don't hang on very well and it may come due to a bigger need for copper than we normally have. So if, you're, if you've gone on your farm from 40 bushel soybeans to 60, 70, 80 bushel soybeans, this is probably something you're noticing. You're getting larger seed size, but you're having some seed coat issues. Copper would be a good nutrient to start with. Okay, so seed coat resiliency is definitely something copper can do. And let me just say this, we're not gonna go through all the things that copper does in the plant, because it does a lot. But we just wanted to focus today on two things that we think are super important and could be a big factor for you on your farm. So the seed coat resiliency is the first one. The second one is disease control. Now, there are two different things that we're talking about here. Sometimes copper gets used as a foliar treatment for bacterial diseases. I'm not gonna say it's great, but it's better than a lot of other things that we've tried over the years. So foliar is one method. Now, the other method is just having flat out more copper in the plant. If you're a wheat producer, you probably have heard about having good levels of copper so you have better disease tolerance. But in terms of all crops, we wanna have high levels of copper so we have just better natural tolerance to a lot of diseases. One other thing, Brian, when we talk about the plant and being resilient to different things, having a good, strong stalk is certainly important. We saw it again this fall that there are some fields that just really gave up at the end of the year and we had stalk quality issues. Well, farmers right away will look at potassium as, man, where are my potassium levels at? And in some cases, potassium was okay. After potassium, the next factors that we look at are manganese and copper for good stock quality. So if you're short in one of those micros like manganese or copper that we're talking about today, that would be another step that you may do on your farm in terms of building soil fertility up to try to have better quality stalks, more lignin, uh, a tougher outer shell to that stock to hold up even late in the season. Just like with all other nutrients in the soil and in the plant, we want you doing some analysis. Do some soil testing and find out where your copper levels are at. On a DTPA test, we're usually looking at two to three parts per million. On a Malik 3 test, it's going to be a little different than that, probably going to be a little bit higher. Uh, in terms of tissue analysis, you also want to monitor that as you go throughout the year, just to get an idea, how are we doing overall in terms of sufficiency or deficiency? Then the question is, well, how am I going to apply copper? So just like I said earlier, if you're doing some applications, let's say you're a specialty crop grower, and you normally do some copper applications fully year, or at least from time to time, you do these foliar applications to control bacteria. Okay, uh, now you're probably going to put a lot of copper into your soil. If you've done that off and on over a period of 20 years, let's say, your copper levels are probably great in the soil and you don't even need to add any more copper. But otherwise, one of the things that I would encourage you to do is take a look at copper sulfate. It's what we're using this fall on our farm. You can put that into solution and then go spray it out. That way you could do some variable rate very easily. You can cover lots of acres real quickly. It doesn't take a whole lot. And once you build those copper levels up, usually they're gonna stay up pretty high because the actual need for every crop is very little each year. So when you remove the grain off your field each year, not a lot of copper leaves with that. So what I'm trying to say is if you build your copper levels up, copper doesn't really leach through the ground or anything like that. It's gonna stay there until it gets used eventually on your farm.
We hope we've raised your curiosity about copper and what your levels are on your farm. And I'd strongly encourage you as you get those soil tests done this fall, make sure you're getting complete analysis. As Brian said, it all starts with just knowing where you're at on a parts per million basis with copper and then starting to address it with the soil build program yet this fall. So we are obviously not doing high, uh, like big farming like that. Right. I've got a small garden. That's why we're doing the high density intercropping. Um, and, uh, and that's, that's great. Copper is excellent to use as a, a nutrient anti antifungal antibacterial. You can get a lot of copper sprays, um, at gardening stores, things like that. But I wanted to play that because it specifically talks about the benefits of copper for the plant, um, especially the strength of the stalk and the seed pod. That's not just for soybeans. That's also things like squash, watermelons, um, beans, peas, anything, okra, uh, anything that'll, that can split the, the copper will help. But I'm not here to, uh, to, to sell you on copper fungicides, like spray on copper or anything like that. I want to talk about electroculture, using copper in a different way. So um, this is uh, a little bit about what electroculture farming is. Electroculture farming, also known as electroculture or magnetoculture, is a form of sustainable agriculture that utilizes electric fields or magnetic fields to stimulate plant growth. This innovative technology has the potential to revolutionize modern agriculture and could help us meet the growing demand for food while minimizing our impact on the environment. Electroculture farming is still in its early stages of development, but there is no doubt that it has the potential to change the way we grow food forever. Electroculture farming is based on the principle that plants can absorb nutrients more efficiently when exposed to an electric or magnetic field. This theory was first proposed in the early 1800s, but it wasn't until the mid-1900s that electroculture farming began to be studied more seriously. In recent years, there have been a number of breakthroughs in electroculture technology. So let's talk about some of those breakthroughs in electroculture technology. So, and this goes back actually even further than the 1800s. We're going to get into that. We'll, we'll throw a little conspiracy in at the end of this one. Um, but let's see. <laughs> okay. So I found this, this, uh, this one channel called cultivate elevate on YouTube that goes, digs pretty deep into electroculture farming. So let's go take a look at this. So today we're going to talk about electroculture and these are some examples right here of electroculture working and it's the electroculture revolution as I call it because what I've seen is so many people's farms and so many gardens explode because of using electroculture. Now this is an image from Erin. Her cauliflower are pretty much two times the size of my head and she grew them just using some copper antennas and some copper pyramids. All she did was take some wood, wrap it with some copper, making it into a spiral going up into the air. And this created an atmospheric antenna, which picks up on the ether, the chi, the orgone, the prana, all the stuff that's all around us to help boost the sap life 
of the plant. What's happening right now is our plants are being bombarded with so many frequencies and all this radiation and starting to impact our soil, dry out the soil and destroy the life force of the soil. So electroculture can be a solution for this. You can check out our blog, cultivateelevate.com, electroculture for beginners, if you need more information on how to use electrical. Which is exactly what I did. And I've got it pulled up. Pull that over. So, because there's some great information in here. Close that one out. So, let's take a look at this. All right. So, what is electroculture? Electroculture is the ancient practice of increasing yields utilizing certain materials to harvest the Earth's atmospheric energy. This was presented in 1749 by Ab in the 1920s by Justin Christoflo and in 1940s by Victor Schauberger. This energy is always present and all around us known as chi, prana, life force, and ether. When electroculture when using electroculture, there is no need for the use of pesticides, manure, or fertilizers. This is primarily why this information was suppressed. All you need is the sun, the clouds, the rain, the nitrogen in the air, and the ability to harness atmospheric energy. These atmospheric antennas can be created from materials such as wood, copper, zinc, and brass. When adding these atmospheric antennas to your garden, soil, or farm, they will amplify your yields, combat frost and excessive heat, reduce irrigation, reduce pests, and increase the magnetism of your soil, leading to more nutrients in the long run. How do I make an electroculture antenna? Atmospheric antennas can be made out of wood dowels found at Home Depot, Lowe's, or a local piece of wood from your backyard, which is what I did. The taller you make the antenna, the larger your plants will grow. Justin Christoflo recommended 20 feet plus, but any height will do. I think 20 feet may be a little excessive. I, I couldn't harvest things that high. You can wrap the wood dowel or local wood with a copper and zinc wiring, making a Fibonacci spiral or vortex up in the air facing magnetic north. The combination of zinc and copper can work like a battery when the sun hits the antenna. You will then place this antenna about six to eight inches into your soil and let Mother Nature do the magic. Get creative, try different designs, and you will see the true potential of electroculture. Um, and for more on this topic, they offer a free download of Justin, Cruf Justin Christoflo's book on electroculture. So how does the electroculture antenna work? The antenna harvests the energy of the earth through a series of vibration and frequency, such as rain, wind, and temperature fluctuations. These antennas lead to stronger plants, more moisture for the soil, and reduced pest infestations. This is one of the many reasons we have not been taught about this ancient practice. Can I just use copper pipe instead of making an antenna? You can use copper pipe, but the best results come from copper coils. The copper coil harnesses the flow of energy. Do electroculture work on indoor or potted plants? Electroculture works wonderfully on indoor plants. A simple chopstick can be used to create your indoor antenna. Instead of creating an electroculture antenna, can I just wrap my plants in copper? The issue with wrapping plants is co in copper is that not all plants enjoy being entangled. It is best to make a simple antenna and place it near the plants you want to help. Although I have seen some things about um, using copper wire that go directly through tomato stalks and, and help them that way. So that's a possibility. How tall should the electroculture antenna be? 
You can make your atmospheric antennas as tall as you like. On average, the best antennas are six feet plus to gather more atmospheric energy. How much square footage does an, an electroculture antenna cover? On average, one six foot antenna can cover about 225 square feet. Which direction should I make my electroculture antenna? So if you live in the Northern hemisphere, you should wind your antenna clockwise. If you live in the Southern hemisphere, you wind your antenna counterclockwise. So I'm in the Southern hem hemisphere, I'll be winding my antenna counterclockwise. Where can I find copper for electroculture? You can find copper wire at Home Depot, Lowe's, Ace Hardware, or Menards. And again, like I said, if you have, you know, uh, electrical wire, copper electrical wire hanging around, you can use that too. It is a lot thinner. Um, I'd probably use it on smaller plants. You have to use more of it, but all right. So copper gardening tools versus iron gardening tools. What we were never told. When Victor Schoberger was studying agriculture, he noticed that copper, brass, and bronze tools would not impact the magnetism of the soil like those made of iron. Iron tools decrease the magnetism of the soil, making the farmers work harder and cause drought-like conditions. While on the other hand, copper, brass, and bronze tools did not alter the magnetism of the soil, led to high quality soil and required less work when used. When Victor showed this to the local council, they said his work would impact their profits on the fertilizer they were promoting. They decided to petition against him with the help of the local media to inform farmers they would yield too much food and it would lead to less money in their pocket. The farmers went against Victor's work and this knowledge was lost in the 1950s. It is also noted that slugs only come around when high amounts of iron are present in the soil to clean up the mess that their antennas are picking up on. When using copper tools or atmospheric antennas, the slugs disappear. Uh, some interesting findings of Justin Christoflo on the electroculture plant growth. In fields in which were not manured or irrigated, oats grew upward of seven feet. Potatoes grown in the same condition, six feet, three inches high, carrying 30 to 35 tubers and weighed one to two pounds per potato. Grape vineyards impacted by uh, phylloxera were healed and rejuvenated. The grapes ended up sweeter and had a much richer flavor. Carrots grew to the length of 19 inches, beets to 18 inches, and nearly 17 inches in circumference. An old pear tree, which had hardly any bark left, was fully rejuvenated by electroculture and started producing pears of up to one pound each. Without the use of manure, pesticides, or fertilizer, just the atmospheric energy, magnetism, and tel uh, telluric currents of the earth, a simple solution to solving the shortages we are all facing. So, um, and he has a bunch of uh, shows, longer shows on here that he's done too. So, um, and I, I think I've downloaded some of these already. So anyway, that is uh, fascinating. You can find that at Cultivate Elevate. So... Moving on. And yep, actually, this is uh, one of those videos that he had up on there. Let's watch this one. So a lot of people are also asking, what else can I do to enhance my yields? And this is a very simple example. This is a copper antenna obelisk, whatever you would like to call it, in order to harness the energy and ether that's all around us 24-7-365 and also can be used to enhance the magnetism of your soil. 
When the magnetism of the soil starts to die, the soil also begins to die. The bacteria starts to go away and the soil starts to disintegrate. So this is a very simple example of something that you can build and you can build it as tall as you want. The taller you build it, the taller your plants will grow and it will also harness more energy. So this, so this is another example of electroculture. What you're doing is you're laying down copper or brass north to south, running through the magnetic ley lines of the earth underneath your soil. And then you're going to install an antenna, which that's what that is up on top. That's going to gather the ether. And you're going to put that on top of the dirt extending out maybe about 20 feet up on top. So you could harness the energy and it can come down and go right through your soil. And it's really fascinating. And then last but not least, we have work from Justin Cristo Flo, who was a very big pusher on electroculture because he learned with using electroculture and harnessing the Earth's energy and ether, orgone, chi, we don't need fertilizer and we don't need pesticides. And that's why this was a threat to the system we currently have today, where the cost of pesticides keep going up, the cost of fertilizer keep going up, but the yields also start going down over time. With electroculture, you don't need any of that. That's amazing. Uh, the more I learn about this, the more excited I am to use it. In fact, I, um, I'm really disappointed that I, I got a whole bunch of cuttings off my lemon tree at my old house and I didn't know what to do with them and it was too cold and I, I did not clone them the way I should have. Um, I let them go too long, you know, busy moving and get, we moved right after literally right at Christmas. And anyway, excuses. So um, I did get a lemon tree and a new lemon tree, but I made the mistake of planting it in the chicken coop, which was stupid of me. So I think I'm going to actually put a, a chicken wire ring around it so the chickens can't get into it and put uh, an electroculture, a copper wire antenna right next to it and see what happens. Maybe I can rejuvenate it. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll do that as a, a following a project that we're following and, and see how that works. Cause, um, I think that'll be really interesting to see. I think the whole thing is going to be fascinating, honestly. So, all right, here's how you actually make them. A lot of people were asking, what can I do with the electroculture? How do I do this? And how do I get the harnessing of the earth? And here you go. Perfect example. You could take a little piece of wood. You could wrap some copper right around there, place that right into the dirt. And that will work like an antenna that will gather ether, which is the energy that's all around us that Nikola Tesla, Wilhelm Reich, Victor Schauberger, and all these people talked about. And that energy will then come down into the dirt. It will magnetize the dirt. So the dirt will become stronger. And this is a, this is a, uh, a, a plant that's just put on the balcony. So this is nothing even in the earth. This is just on the balcony, but you can do this with your plants on the earth as well too. And it will enhance the magnetism. Basically what happens is, is our soil starts to get dried out because the magnetism of the soil, it starts to deplete and it pretty much becomes dead. There's no more life force or ether inside that soil. So we need to reestablish that and harness that and bring that back. And this is a simple technique you can use so you can do it in your container garden. You can do it in your regular garden. Um, you can even do it in a hydroponic garden. Just stick a piece of copper wire in the water. Seriously, it works. At least I hope it works because 
I'm going to try it. And, um, I, uh, I, yeah, really want to see how this goes. Pretty much that one already. Okay. So let's watch some before and after. A lot of people were asking, what can I do with the electroculture? How do I do this? And how do I get the harnessing of the earth? And here you go. Perfect example. You could take a little piece of wood. You could wrap some copper right around there, place that right into the dirt. And that will work like an antenna that will gather ether, which is the energy that's all around us that Nikola Tesla, Wilhelm Reich, Victor Schauberger, and all these people talked about. And that energy will then come down into the dirt. It will magnetize the dirt. So the dirt will become stronger. And this is a, this is a, uh, a, a plant that's just put on the balcony. So this is nothing even in the earth. This is just on the balcony, but you can do this with your plants on the earth as well too. And it will enhance the magnetism. Basically what happens is, is our soil starts to get dried out because the magnetism of the soil, it starts to deplete and it pretty much becomes dead. There's no more life force or ether inside that soil. So we need to reestablish that and harness that and bring that back. And this is a simple technique. So for those of you that are lurking and not watching, that was not actually the same video. That was an update. So um, I've lowered the volume. I'm going to play it again from the beginning because he's got text in here. So uh, electroculture update. So he's he's wrapping the stick with, with the, the wire. And I mean, the, the garden looks nice to start with. That's before, right? Most of decent sized plants. Three weeks later, Oh my God, they're huge. Uh, the first fruit of the season, it's just starting. It's already as big as his palm. It's six times longer, tripled in height. Those were only to her shoulder and now they are taller than her and flowering fruits. So the stick with copper worked. If you don't believe me, Try it for yourself. That's exactly what I'm going to do. It's the only way to truly know. And I really love how they've used sticks from obviously wood from their garden, natural wood um, to, to do it. I'm, like I said, planning on doing the same thing. You saw that pile of sticks that I have. So uh, I just got to get that copper wire, take it off mixed work truck. Hmm. So... All right, this one blew me away, y'all. This one's crazy. Did you see the size of these plants? Like, I'm going to have to have a ladder in my garden just to harvest tomatoes. Thought I'd do a little video on electroculture. So I've been watching a couple of videos on here and different areas. And basically, if you take a copper wire and wrap it around a stick and put it in near your plants, it's supposed to produce an electrical current. It harnesses electricity out of the air called ether. And you put it in the ground, like I did down here. And it's supposed to make your plants grow bigger, healthier, stronger, it's supposed to magnetize the soil, it's supposed to keep bugs and pests away. So to kind of give you guys a, a heads up on what I've seen and what I've noticed. I have this tomato, the same kind of tomato on both sides, planted in the ground next to my raised bed. And as you can see, it's all the way up there. 
way, way up there. There's my little copper wire. If you get back, you can see how tall the other ones are. I had to extend my trellis and put string across there because my tomatoes are getting so tall. But you go to the other end that doesn't have the copper wire. And look how small the tomato is on this side. They're all getting watered the same. They were put in the same exact type of soil. And I'll kind of get back and give you guys a better view. And you can see the tomatoes on that side, not that tall. But when I get over to this side, look how tall they are. Look how healthy they look. Look how much greener. And also, I was out here the other day, and I noticed I had a bunch of little caterpillars on this side that doesn't have the wire. But I don't have any caterpillars on this side that has the wire. So, I'll give you guys another little example of some electroculture. I have some wild lettuce that I was growing on the other side of the yard. And yeah, it's seeded. And it's pretty much dormant now almost, but it's still somewhat alive. But look how big this wild lettuce is. And it's right next to a utility pole touching this metal right here. And this is my biggest wild lettuce I have. And some of them I've actually been watering. This one had no water, no fertilizer, grew wild. And look how big it is. So I'm really starting to believe in this electroculture. I'm really starting to think that it's possibly a legit thing. And so to show you from the other side of my tomatoes again, you can see how some of these kind of not near as tall, not near as green. Then you get over to the side with the copper, look how thick they are, look at the tomatoes. Look how tall they are. And like I said, once again, the one that I had planted in the ground that wasn't even in the raised bed, it's actually grown up to the wire. So just thought I'd give you guys a little heads up on a little trick that might be legit. Electroculture. Yeah, I'd say that's legit. Oh, my God. I have never seen tomatoes so tall. That is insane okay so welcome to the show lens you have to go back and start at the beginning because i uh, i played a bunch of videos of my garden and you see the ducks and the chickens they're a lot of fun so okay and let's see all right before and after a cherry tomato which i have some big cherry tomatoes in my backyard and i'm i'm thinking i'm going to stick some small antennas in them and see how they go okay holy crap did you guys see that Okay, it started out, it's it's this little thing, right? It's not even to the top of the cage. She put a little wire in there. Holy crap, that thing is huge. Wow. 
Yeah. I'm about sold on this one already. So. All right. So. All right. Another video from this. Um, Cultivate Elevate, dude. So today we're going to hit on some examples of electroculture, and you can find more information on CultivateElevate.com. But this is Melanie. She's up in Canada. She has a very short growing window, about two months, and she took this little copper antenna, which she made herself, and placed it into her soil, and her plants went crazy. She had carrots bigger than my screen. So basically what she stated was, I put my copper antenna throughout the garden this year, not kidding, everything exploded. I have never had this much produce, have never had the plants this healthy, and the growth seemed to happen so quickly. My garden was very happy to, this year, thanks to you. And it's very important to look into this because electroculture can solve all of our food shortages, food scarcity, all this nonsense that they try to push on us all the time. And also you don't have to use pesticides, you don't have to use fertilizers, you don't have to use chemicals. That's what also George Lakofsky figured out in the 1930s. He took copper coils and wrapped them around plants and he started to notice that they grew five times the size. He also took copper, wrapped it around people and he started healing them from a lot of different health ailments. One, and that's true too. Um, we've had whole discussions about uh, the benefits of, of copper and health, especially with as many RH negatives as we have in our shows. So, okay. All right. If we watch that. Yeah. Um, okay. Now. Here's an experiment for you. Hi, so I made an ultimate experiment about electroculture. So Lakowski, Lakowski coil is very easy to make. It's very cheap and, uh, and quick experiment. So I just happen to grow quite a few of uh, the plants now, and I decided to apply to half of them or roughly half of them, uh, Lakowski coil. And I also took measurements in spreadsheet in Excel of uh, the lengths or the condition they are in. So in about a month, we will be able to check it and compare the plants with Lakowski coil against the plants without Lakowski coil and compare how they grow and how they improve. So we'll have a definitive uh, answer that Lakowski curls either works or doesn't work. And um, we can do it if, even in one month and two months. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. If there are uh, any promising results, then, uh, then we'll, we'll keep it on and, and see how it goes month after month. And um, so I'll show you the uh, the plants that I made and that I that I used with Lakowski coal and without, and um, and that's the experiment. So here I got. Uh, uh, I'm trying to uh, sprout rosemary, so it's a cutting of rosemary, and uh, and uh, I'm waiting until they sprout. Root. So they have been like this for, for a few weeks, I would say maybe 
four or five weeks. They they haven't sprouted any roots yet. So and I applied these Slakowski coils in uh, about two days ago. Then second, uh, here I'm growing cactuses. So these are seedlings of cactuses, and one of them has Lakowski coil, and the other two, they don't. Here, we have a different species of, of similar cactus. And also, one has Lakowski coil, and two don't. So, the, all these Lakowski coils are made of a, a, a zinc, zinc or zinc iron uh, that is slightly magnetic, but I also bought some copper wire, wires, which are diamagnetic. Or paramagnetic, sorry, and uh, I put them all around these seeds. These are fennel seeds, and this this is uh, another bee sample from fennel seeds. Uh, here I grow, I try to sprout avocado seeds, and you can see one of them has uh, Lakowski coil, and the other one doesn't. Well, these they were not uh, put in the water at the same time, so. Uh, we'll see how it grows, but uh, they will be, they've been selected, selected randomly and new avocado seeds are added as, as we go. So overall, over a uh, longer time, we should have, it should even out and the one with the Lakowski coil should produce more. So I'll take you out where I have some more experiments going. And here we go. We have 13 plants of rosemary. Half of them are with Lakowski coil and the rest is without. So I took measurements, the length of growth, of these rosemaries, and we'll see how well they grow. And here I have some growing some cactuses. And these cactuses, half of them have Lakowski coil, and I also took measurements of length. So we'll be able to compare the rate of growth of cactuses with Lakowski coil and without. Here is an apple tree, which is struggling. You can see the leaves are not very good at all. We have Lakowski coil, and we have one more Lakowski coil here. And here there are two gooseberries, which are both struggling. So I put the Lacoste call on both and we will see if there will be some recovery. All right, so that's all the Lacoste coils that uh, I put on. And uh, maybe it's worth mentioning that I'm on the Southern Hemisphere. I'm really down deep south, probably as far as you can go. On the, on the south hemisphere and uh, you're going into winter so that that's probably another important thing however we don't get temperatures below zero here at least where i am here are no temperatures below zero so uh, the plants should still grow at least a little bit all right so uh, perhaps uh, if you want subscribe to the channel and uh, and uh, so you can see the updates, which I'll post in about a month, and then yeah, we'll see if it's if it's ex if this experiment is worth worth keep going or not. All right, thank you.
And that's only actually, that's a few days old. So we're going to follow him and, uh, and see how his coils work because I'm, I'm interested to see how it works to coil the zinc wire around, especially seedlings versus having the copper wire, maybe doing a combination of both. So, so that I found that very interesting, different things to, to use to enhance the magnetism of the soil. So, okay. And, and here's a, another one. This girl's on, uh, on the West coast. She's in California. Hello, YouTube world. Pacific truffle growers here, Stephanie Jarvis coming at you with some electroculture techniques we're going to install here in the orchard today as an experiment. Yes, we're gonna try some hippie stuff. We've been having issues with irrigation and I've been doing a deep dive on electroculture where we're going to bring energy in from the atmosphere into the orchard, which is going to increase fertility of the soils and um, make it so that the trees don't need as much water or as much fertilizer. Um, not that we actually fertilize here in the orchard in the first place. But you can see it's a beautiful day here in Hillsburg, California. And if you'd like to do a 15 minute free consultation call with me, link below please like and subscribe and ding the bell to get the whistles and uh let's go install some electroculture here we go it's sturdy Yeah, put it down, what, eight inches? Six inches deep, maybe? Yeah, and it's got the copper wire going straight up into the sky, and this tree that it's next to looks really sad. So we're gonna see if this is gonna make it look happy. Plus the wires, we're gonna set wires at the base of each tree along this one row of 10 trees. So we have copper wire. I picked green. Um, what is this stuff called on it? Casing, plastic sheathing, insulation, insulation whatever. And um, we cut them. Two, two and a half feet long and then I'm just going to put them on the ground so that the wires are overlapping but not touching. Overlapping but not touching. I'm just going to leave it there. You see this is for gophers. We're trapping gophers out here. And uh, now we're going to do some electroculture. Cool. Here's another one we installed. The wire. 
messages here. And we'll just see, these are gonna go into winter. So we'll just see how they come out next spring. So this was really easy to do, really easy to make and not expensive. I spent 50 bucks on wire today. I'm gonna do this tree. This tree is probably dead. I'm gonna do this tree. Just place the wire around the tree and make sure that the wires are not touching but overlapping. And we're gonna do this little tree over here. Looks like they could be going into winter early. That's okay. I'm just gonna Overlap. I mean, I don't need any special equipment. So, something I forgot to mention is that the openings of your wires, you want them to be facing north. So, I had them facing south. So, I'm going to come here and I'm going to rotate them. You can see me rotating it. The orientation of my rows is north-south and I had all the openings facing south. So now I'm gonna fix it. So all the openings of these wires I just installed face north. Super simple fix. So I just learned about magnetic declination. So go to NOAA and figure out where your north-south orientation is and make sure your wires are all open to the north. Okay. Yeah, so we don't need any special equipment, just some wire cutters and but some copper wire. I'm going to make a couple triangles, pyramids to bring out to the orchard. And um, we're doing this one row here of 10 trees. Each tree is getting its own wire loop of copper wire. And then um, um, one pole with the copper wire running up it like um, a vortex with uh, couple inches coming out the top going straight due north and then we're going to come back with some magnets um in wrapped in beeswax with some um galvanized steel that we're going to put at the trees uh, probably a different row um with the north south orientation to do uh phase two of electroculture um experiment here in this orchard and then y'all are just gonna have to wait till next spring to see how it turns out so all right thanks for watching and um please like and subscribe and ding the bell to get the whistles and again if you want to talk to me about growing truffles please all my uh yeah we don't grow truffles here but um that's that's really interesting with the 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 wire in the plastic sheath and just the ends exposed overlapping but not touching facing north uh, i'm definitely going to try that on a lot of my plants because I have a lot of that wire. So that's going to be, that's going to be fantastic. So a bunch of different ideas. Okay. Uh, not that one. All right. And
so, uh, all right. One more quick, like before and after. We've got four test subjects. Let's see who reigns supreme. Electroculture versus standard. Let's kick it. Let it begin. Okay, we're in the spot for a while. And they can race it out. So, oh, more experiments, I should say. Not before and after on that one. Just the before. All right. So a couple other quick things I found while I was uh, doing some of this gardening research here that I wanted to share with you guys. Um, one quick is the benefits of hydrogen peroxide on plants. This blew me away. I had no idea. Um, but I, I did end up actually washing all of my plant pots in, in hydrogen peroxide. Uh, we'll see. So check this out. Because you, know, you can get this for 99 cents at wherever. Hydrogen peroxide. Wait, I didn't start this episode with hello everyone. Let's rewind. Hello everyone, this is Jack. And in this episode, I'm going to cover everything you need to know about hydrogen peroxide. And it's very beneficial to your garden and to your plants. So I'm kind of in an awkward position here because my plants are dying. I planted peas and the leaves are turning brown. They're not just yellow. I have a separate video about leaves turning yellow and how to fix those. But this is just plant just dying, like it's suffocating. And leaves are just turning brown and plants are going gone. Sad, I know, but every problem has a solution. Now, the reason why my plants are turning brown and dying is because of root rot. And root rot is caused by fungi and bacteria in the soil. It's also caused by excessive moisture in the soil. If plants are over water and there's a lot of stagnant water in the soil, it prevents plants from taking in oxygen through the roots, which causes plants to suffocate. So what's to the rescue? Hydrogen peroxide. It not only kills the bacteria and fungi in the soil, it also restores the oxygen balance in the soil as well. The first benefit of using hydrogen peroxide is to add it directly to the soil. Now, real quick here, um, the electroculture and putting the copper wire, the, the wood wrapped in copper wire in the soil will also get rid of the fungi, um, the bacteria and all of that. So you don't get root rot from that. 
However, since we live in the South and our rainy season is pretty insane, well, when you use the electroculture, um, you don't have to use as much water. That's not really an issue for me. So I, I, a lot of times my plants get too much water and I've got to figure out a way uh, to get that water out um, to the point, like all the water in our neighborhood, it's crazy. We're kind of at the bottom of the hill and we have a big lake and all of the water, because our spill, spillway is broken, drains into our pond, um, our lake. And I mean, right now it's back up in our garden again, or in our backyard. Hasn't quite hit the garden, but there's really nowhere for the water to go. So I do sometimes have an issue with too much water in the soil and that's where this came in. So just wanted to throw that in and I will get back to him. It kills the fungus that's in the soil and it actually stops the fungus from eating the roots of the plants. So I have two batches of hydrogen peroxide. The first batch is one to one ratio of 3% hydrogen peroxide to water. And the second batch is one teaspoon of hydrogen peroxide to one cup of water. Why? Well, this is going to be on the foliage and this one is going to go right into the soil all around the plants. It's not going to touch any of the foliage because it might burn the leaves. So let me add this solution to the root of the plants without touching any of the foliage. Be careful not to touch the foliage. This is very important because your leaves will burn. Hydrogen peroxide will kill the fungus and hopefully save my plants. The second benefit of using hydrogen peroxide is to spray the foliage of your plants with the dilated solution of hydrogen peroxide. And this will protect your plants from pests, bugs, and ants. Hydrogen peroxide is made up of same elements as water. Water is H2O, hydrogen peroxide is H2O2. That extra element of oxygen gives the hydrogen peroxide its third beneficial property, which is rigorous plant growth. How does it happen? When hydrogen peroxide is added directly to the soil, it enables the roots of the plants to absorb more nutrients because of the extra oxygen element. That extra oxygen actually helps the plants to absorb more nutrients and become more healthy. The fourth benefit of using hydrogen peroxide is to pre-treat the seeds before planting. This will prevent the seeds from root rot and also protect the seeds from diseases. To do so, briefly soak the seeds in hydrogen peroxide, rinse and plant. The fifth benefit of hydrogen peroxide is to disinfect any planting containers, especially if you're using planting containers from last year or previous growing. You can also disinfect the growing medium by using one to one ratio of 3% hydrogen peroxide to water. This method not only disinfects the growing medium, but it also helps the plant grow faster and healthier. When hydrogen peroxide breaks down and decomposes, there are only two byproducts, water and oxygen. This extra oxygen helps the plants to grow bigger roots and become stronger. Hydrogen peroxide is approved by EPA to be used outdoors. I really hope you enjoyed these five benefits of using hydrogen peroxide in your garden and on your plants. And if you like this video and found this video informative, Hit the subscribe button and I will surely see you in another video. Yeah, so I, I found that fascinating. I use hydrogen peroxide for everything. I mean, it's a, it's an essential part of our medicine cabinet here. Um, you know, whenever the, the kids have any kind of scrape, scratch, anything, hydrogen peroxide on it. Um, basically anything but a broken bone, put hydrogen peroxide on it. And uh, it, I mean, even you, get, you have a, a cold or something like that. You gargle with hydrogen peroxide. Don't swallow it. You'll throw up, but gargle with hydrogen peroxide. Um, I never thought about using it on my plants until I came across that video. Uh, and of course, all of these videos will be on the Substack that I'll put out. 
Um, so you can check that out at patriotpartypod.substack.com. So, and then this other one that I found, nine gardening hacks that actually work. So let's check this out. Some of these I found very, very interesting. Some of them, nah, but um, all, all worth a look. Here you go. The internet sure is full of useless hacks everywhere. They're there just to be clickbaits, and sometimes people do fall for them. Now, I want to share a few secret garden hacks that I have that I actually haven't told you, at least not the secret part. It's what I would call the pulo do gato, the cat sleep. This is a Brazilian saying. It's the professional secret. And even though I'm not a professional gardener, here are some of the secret tips I've collected through the years. Getting plants to sprout and grow is the most important step in gardening. While there is nothing wrong with buying plant starts that are ready to plant, at some point you will want to grow things from seed. I believe how well you raise your seedlings really dictates how good a gardener you're going to be. You might know that I do the plate germination method because it's one of the best, but there is a secret to it. You may have heard of this method as the paper towel or Ziploc method, but I don't call it that because that is exactly what I don't use. If you've been watching the channel, you know how much I like the plate germination method. And you might have even wondered about my rather Victorian cut glass germination station that I use. And it's not just a stylistic choice. I picked this candy dish for a dollar at a flea market. When it's closed, it doesn't form an airtight seal like a Ziploc bag. So I think it allows the inside to breathe a bit, delaying mold formation. Part of the reason why I don't call this method the paper towel method is because I don't think you should be using paper towels. You should be using toilet paper. And specifically the two-ply kind of soft toilet paper, I think that's the best one. Why? Because it actually holds on to the moisture, but it also breaks down easier so that if you allow the seeds to just grow a little bit longer than you wanted to, the roots get tangled into the paper and if it's paper towel that has resistant fiber, especially the ones that are supposed to be washable and reusable, that can be a problem as you remove the seedling because you might damage the root. And once you damage the root, that's it. So the second real pulo do gato or cat sleep is using such a container like this and using a small plate that fits into it. This way I can always have some water in the bottom and it will keep the overall atmosphere within this container moist but without letting the seeds be drowning in water because that's not a good idea. By pre-germinating your seeds you save time and space in your growing trays, only planting out seedlings that you know are alive. My next hacks are all about the pots I grow seedlings in. Years ago I would use plastic cups with drilled bottoms as containers but I've been seeking plastic-free alternatives that work just as well while I reuse my remaining plastic cups until they fall apart. Recycling plastic containers destined to the trash as seedling pots is still a viable option, but I found out that container-free soil blocks are very effective for small seedlings. I made my own soil blocks from scraps of a tube and a cylinder, like the seasoning container to test out the concept and it works. You just use a light, fine texture potting mix, add water until it holds its shape when compressed, and you get perfect blocks to plant in. For seedlings that need to grow into bigger plants before being transplanted out, like eggplants, peppers, and tomatoes, you'll still need to pot them up once they grow several pairs of leaves. 
I decided to experiment with aluminum cans, drilling holes in the bottom for drainage and cutting the tops with heavy-duty scissors. It is a good idea to use garden gloves when doing this, leaving clean, barb-free edges to prevent injury. These free recycled containers do work, but since the cans have straight cylindrical sides, it can be a struggle to get the seedlings out, so I actually don't recommend this hack. Instead, my secret pulo do gato is that I source some new, reusable and recyclable lightweight aluminum party cups with taper sides that work like magic. Just stack them and drill drainage holes in the bottom. While they're not free unless you're getting them from a party, they are not terribly expensive. All right, quick thing on this. We actually have a whole bunch of these ball, ball cups in our cabinet. Um, those aluminum cups, you know, they're they're like five bucks for a 12 pack or something at the store. And, uh, but after a while, after you put them in the dishwasher, like they start to get, I don't know, like kind of weird on the inside. Um, discolored. I mean, they're fine, but I don't know. My kids look at it and they're like, ew, I don't want to drink out of that. Those are the perfect cups to use for this. And when you drill holes in the bottom, don't just drill holes in the bottom. Also drill tiny like pinprick holes um, around the outside, around the edges of any cup that you you grow a seedling in because it helps uh, aerate the soil more. So I want to throw that in there. So either considering they could last you a lifetime, just like my stainless steel restaurant chafing dishes, I use as planting trays. I've been using them for a decade and I highly recommend them. This next hack will help you extend your growing season by protecting cold-sensitive plants like eggplants. It's always rather annoying dealing with late frosts when you have to plant something like eggplants or tomatoes that want a longer season to produce, but they need to get into the ground as soon as possible. Temperatures below 50 degrees are bad for them. That's why this trick should save you in a pinch. I cut the bottom off of recycled water jugs that have the pop top to use as cloches. These pop tops are the secret pulo do gato since you can easily open them during the day to vent them and close them at night in early spring. By installing them under row covers, you can give your eggplants a leg up, protecting them against chilly weather closer to freezing with a double layer of protection. The second pulo do gato secret is to surround the plants with recycled water containers filled with water that serve as heat sinks, further moderating the climate inside the row covers. They capture excess heat during the day and release it at night. These hacks are great when you need to extend your season inducing earlier harvest. And that is not the only secret. Here's one of my favorite gardening hacks, which I kind of stumbled upon by chance. It has to do with growing lettuce. If you want your lettuce to grow big and fast, which you usually do, because you want to continue supply, you start them indoors, but instead of using the grow lights for only the period of natural daylight that you would do, you let it run 24-7. You will have to water more often because the plants will be photosynthesizing non-stop. They will keep growing throughout the night. In about two and a half weeks, you will have starts that are big enough to be hardened off outside before being planted. This is faster than the normal four weeks it may take if you turn off the lights at night. This will not harm the plant and should not cause any early bolting if you only do it in the first weeks. After a week of getting them used to exterior conditions, you can plant them. Because they are bigger, slugs will not be much of a problem and you will be harvesting lettuce a couple of weeks sooner. 
and you put an electroculture antenna in there and slugs definitely won't be a problem. Once you get your plants in the ground, you must ensure they are well fed and watered for best results. For this next hack, I have to get close and personal to where all the magic of gardening happens, and that's right in the ground. Well, you may be thinking, what does the lawn have to do with gardening? Usually you want to take lawn away and plant more gardens. You can use the clippings from lawn to put over your ground as mulch. So it's a fertilizer and mulch all in one. You may be thinking, I already know that, that's common, but my trick, my secret trick is to be able to get a lawn that's not just grass. I happen to have here a lawn that's full of clover and clover has a high nitrogen content. That means it's gonna be a more powerful fertilizer for your plants. The trick is to sprinkle successive layers of grass clippings so they have a chance to dry and not mat up. I actually hate mowing the lawn. I get asthma attacks from the gas fumes and the noise really bothers me. But I finally found a tool that is perfect for me. It's a big solution that comes in a small package. I have to say, uh, growing clover and alfalfa uh, and stuff like that, like a, a ground crop, again, intercropping, high density gardening, in between or in your lawn and, and using those clippings, you throw them into your chickens. Chickens love clover and alfalfa. It's really good for them. You let them compost it and then you put that on top of your plants um, or in your soil, uh, in your dirt as you get all that extra nitrogen and it's fantastic. So I highly recommend growing, growing clover, alfalfa and things like that uh, in your garden or in your lawn, not just grass. Grass is silly, ornamental. Grow something that actually has some nutritional value. You know, I was skeptical at first, but the 17-inch battery-powered electric mower by Lightly is just what I needed. It's super lightweight and can be stored anywhere, even in my tiny car. But don't let the size fool you. I was surprised by how powerful this machine is. The easy pull-button start means I don't have to pull a back muscle to cut the grass. This machine certainly punches above its weight. It handles slightly overgrown grass as long as it's trying. So I was surprised. The best part is the reduced noise compared to gas engines. It's like operating a large bumblebee. <sighs> it is way easier to handle around my raised beds because it's so lightweight and has a smaller profile. The simple one-handed lever for height adjustment is very satisfying. You know, I was mainly skeptical about the power and stamina, but this machine is absolutely perfect for smaller gardens. I can cut about half to a third of my 0.3 acre property on a single charge. I usually prefer to cut a bit of the lawn every three days or so to use for grass clippings, so it's the perfect tool for me. And it's great at collecting clippings. I've been using it for three months now, so I'll keep you posted on how it holds up over time. But so far, I'm impressed. The battery is fully charged in a couple of hours. If you are interested in this Lightly mower, I decided to add the company link in the video description. In full disclosure, the folks at Lightly did reach out and provide this mower free of charge for me to try. But this is not a sponsored message and I don't get commissions from sales. I just really liked the product and decided to share my experience since it has been a great solution for me and it's made cutting the grass much more pleasant experience for me. Which is why I didn't skip over that part. By using grass as mulch, you'll substantially cut down on your need for watering. But if you have to water, this hack will protect your plants. When you're using a hose, there's always a chance that you're going to damage some plants that may be in outside corners as you drag the hose along. So I have a hack that will solve this. And you only need a few 4-inch pots and a metal stake. 
You must use 4-inch ceramic pots that have drainage holes big enough for the 12-inch galvanized metal spikes to pass through. You simply turn one pot upside down and place the other on top right side up. Then you drive the metal spike through the holes. Use a piece of wood and gently hammer it in place, being careful not to crack the pots. Place them near outside corners of the bed to serve as guards when you drag a hose along. While the terracotta color looks great, you can also use glazed decorative pots in more formal areas as I did in my main ornamental bed. The possibilities are endless, and for the secret pulo do gato, you can fill the top pot with soil and plant out succulents like the hardy sedums. They will love growing here and will protect your plants from hose damage while looking great. Sometimes plants need a bit of help to support themselves. That's the case with this dianthus with its long, thin stems. Once it flowers, they're going to flop. So I'm going to create a support that's cheap, easy, and it's almost invisible. This is a simple hack that can make a world of difference for your ornamental displays. I used wire hangers, untwisted them, and straightened them out, since I needed a stiff, heavy gauge wire to give structure to the support. And this is exactly where you can use the electroculture. So instead of using wire hangers, um, all that may work, but uh, you can use 18 gauge copper wire, heavy copper, copper wire instead and, and do that and uh, grab that ether and make your plants grow bigger. For the height of my carnations, I cut the hangers in half and twisted one end of each piece into a curly cue. This prevents potential injuries with having wires sticking out of the ground and also gives a place for easily holding the twine without having to tie it up. To install it, simply stick the wires around the plants and start threading green sisal willy-nilly from one to the other to form a dense web-like net. The pulo do gato trick is to do this a few weeks before your plants will start blooming, as soon as they start putting out buds. This will allow the plants to grow into the support and by the time blooms start opening, the supports have become basically invisible. The next hack helps us to keep track of our plants varieties by using trash as a resource to create garden labels that withstand the weather. Maybe you want to label all your plants because you're a budding botanist or you just need to label a few like Dahlia so you can keep track of them. In any case, you can reuse aluminum cans because they make for great outdoor labels that withstand the weather and are actually free. <laughs> Using heavy-duty scissors or tin snips, cut out round or rectangular labels out of the sides of aluminum cans, making sure not to leave jagged edges with barbs that could cut you in the future. Using a long nail, a metal instrument, or even an old dried-up ballpoint pen, write the name of your plants by embossing the letters onto the metal. Make sure to place the aluminum tags over a bit of thin cardboard stacked up so that the impression will be easier to make without damaging your working surfaces. Because cans are printed on one side, you can sand away the paint if you so desire. Using a nail or a drill, punch a hole near an edge and twist hanger wire into supports for the labels so you can stick them into the ground. In case you don't like the shiny silver aluminum and you just happen to have a bit of copper roof flashing laying around, you can do the same thing with this thin material. Since one side is impregnated with tar, I make the labels by folding over a long rectangle, rounding off the non-folded corners with snips. I write the plant name on one side with it open and then fold it into a neat label. I then punch a hole near the top edge and hang it with the wire support. The copper labels oxidize with time, developing the most pleasant verdigris worthy of elegant botanical gardens. I hope you like these garden hacks. If so, tell me your favorite one that surprised you the most down in the comments. I am working on having further episodes for the Cottage Design Masterclass series, so stay tuned. 
I was also honored to have my work highlighted in the Wall Street Journal this past month by style editor Allison Duncan. Thank you so much to all of you who have directly supported this channel by buying art through my Etsy shop or Okay, good for you. Um I really like, I think I found it a use for all of Nick's beer cans. I'll, I'll make plant labels out of them, or at least some of them. Um, there's a lot of beer cans, hmm. but that's cool. And, uh, and you can hang them from your copper wire antennas and label your plants so that you always know what you have. I really like it. Anyway, and let's see what else we have here. So... Okay, this is really cool. I, I was talking a bit before about repurposing things. And this video is a little bit longer. Um, although the one I'm closing with kind of brings together True Spiracy and, uh, and Electroculture, because that's how I came across Electroculture, was doing my True Spiracy research in uh, Tartaria. Um, I see in the chat, Portuguese American, Life Brian, I, um, Pequest, absolutely. Coffee grounds, uh, wood ashes, um, eggshells, banana peels, all all great things. Uh, banana peels have a lot of potassium in them. Coffee grounds uh, are fantastic. Uh, they actually keep ants away. Uh, eggshells will put calcium into your, your dirt as well. Um, I don't throw away my eggshells anymore. Sometimes I'll use them to feed them back to the chickens. Like now that the chickens are free ranging, a lot more, they're not getting as much uh, calcium in their diet as they were when they were just eating feed. So I've been keeping my eggshells and I'm going to ground them up. And I've noticed this because their eggshells are a little bit more, little bit more fragile now. So um, I've got to up the calcium in their diet. So I keep the eggshells and I just throw them through a, a blender, you know, food processor real quick and um, throw it in with, uh, just throw them on the ground and they eat them up. So uh, chickens are cannibals, by the way. So they have no problem eating eggshells. But yeah, you can also, you know, I throw them in the ground on the garden right now when they're turning the dirt and they eat them, but then whatever's left goes into the garden. I also do that with the wood ash. I throw that in the ground out there too. And when we were running the hearth, I have all this wood ash and then from the egg as well, all this wood ash. And uh, I throw that in the yard. They use it to take good chicken baths, um, helps get all the, the pests and whatnot off. And then it stays in the garden for when it gets turned. Um, my kid loves bananas. I told him stop throwing away banana peels. Banana peels can also work great to help you uh, propagate new plants out of cuttings from what I hear. I haven't tried that yet. That'll be another experiment going down. But yeah, those are all, all great ideas. So let's see, bake eggshells for an hour at 300, crust to a coarse grit and blow the membrane that is separated from the shells off as best I can. Fantastic trash membrane. Love it. Um, okay. So yes, Lynn's, my, my garden is going to be a beer garden. It's going to be a Modelo beer garden. So soak in apple cider vinegar for a few days. Hmm. Okay. All right. So, um, but I was talking before about repurposing things. So you guys will see in the next week or the week after I've done things like taking an old dresser, flipped it upside down, um, taking the drawers out and put uh, landscape fabric on the side and uh, down the open side and filled it with compost and dirt and whatnot. And I'm growing my potatoes in there. Uh, I've also taken old uh, bed frames, like an old wood bed frame from my kid's old lofted bed before we moved here. And that was what you saw in the, the video before that had been my herb bed. And then I'm going to take the wood and actually use it to 
stake things up, use it for a trellis, um, wrap some copper wire around it. But then, like I said, taking all the wood out of my yard as well. Uh, Heather gave me that like swinging door that I'm going to use as a trellis. There's all kinds of things. So this video is 25 things that you can use as trellises. Welcome to the Rusted Garden Homestead. This is the great trellising video for 2021. We're going to go over about 25 different trellising designs that you can adapt for your garden. So this is ladder mesh. This is a masonry product. You can find it at Home Depot, some of them, by the rebar and the concrete, but you have to look for it. It's inexpensive, and I just set up the different pieces. They come in 10-foot sections. The ones on the bottom I cut in half or cut into thirds, and I just use the wire mesh to create arches that all of the sweet potato vines will be trellised up, and it's just a great way to grow vertically. Coming inside, this is my new t-shirt. We'll pause here for the sponsor, which is the Rusted Garden. These are now available at my seed shop if you're interested. Um, I will put the link in the video description, but this is our new t-shirt, and this is gonna be around for a long time. I like the basic gray and the emblem that's right there. Now, you're gonna see all kinds of different trellises, so I recommend that you get creative. Go to flea markets, garage sales, look around the big box stores, see what you can find, because a lot of times you can get them more inexpensively if you repurpose them. So, and I'll talk about that as we go through. So first stop, standard metal T-posts. I use them for all kinds of different things. They're about six bucks. I get them at Tractor Supply. They will last forever, so they're kind of worth the investment. And basically trellising a tomato plant straight up there. This is wire mesh, nice big space. This is used for concrete. So when you pour concrete down, you would lay this in there and it supports the concrete, but you can just repurpose it. Comes in a big section, just like this. I formed it to fit the curve of the raised bed, put the earth around it. This was going to be for cucumbers. I have an example of that coming up, but this is a tomato that grew wild and I'm gonna let it grow. And I'm just weaving the vines through here. So that's one way to do it. Here's another example of the 10 foot ladder mesh. And it's just rainbowed that way. And this way you can secure it at the top. And this is where I was growing peas. I pulled them out. So now there is a tomato plant in there with your standard tomato cage, but that'll be plenty of support for a massive tomato plant that'll be growing in there. And you can see how I used the ladder mesh for the peas and it did really, really well. We'll get to the orange piece in a second. Wanted to show you this one real quick. This is a pretty shallow container that's 22 gallons. That little teepee, three bamboo pieces tied off the top, really, really works well in the containers. I highly recommend that. And this is supporting a bunch of peas. Now let's actually go over to Freetown Farm where I volunteer. I'll show you some trellis trellising options there and then we'll come back to my garden. This is the Grow It cook it garden over at Freetown Farm where I volunteer. I help design and build these beds and I want to just give you more examples of trellising. So we're reusing a lot of the materials that were already at the farm. These are peppers. You can do a weave. So these are just T-posts going through here and just taking string and going across and I will weave the peppers through there. That will give them enough support. So as I find another post, going to do the same thing for this group. Now, sometimes like your bell peppers stay smaller. Um, maybe your poblanos get taller. So you will want to use this based on the size of the plant. Similar idea right over here. These are green beans. And we had some short T-posts 
that are great for really securing them lower and then just did the same thing instead of t-post use wooden posts here and the green beans will climb right up here these are repurposed from an old shelving unit they're aluminum and they're just being used for the eggplant old structures are not only nice looking um, but i think they're wonderful to add into the garden for trellising and these were kind of falling apart just screw them right into the base of your frames if you have wood frames and when you build your raised beds you want to keep about a four foot space because most things are four feet wide great for the wheelbarrow great for these structures and i will have beans or other crops growing up through here repurposed rebar six foot pieces they're solid a little more expensive than wood typically but they're going to last forever and these are just green beans winding their way right up the rebar you can see other t-posts pieces of wood in there this is old rusted fencing you can buy this in rolls and they were pre-made in these circles and I think they were used to protect trees. There's a lot of deer around here. Rather than get rid of them or buying new stuff, these are being used for the cucumber plants. And I just dropped a circular cage around there. The space is wide enough. That's one thing. You want to make sure the space is wide enough if you're using it for something like that. And you can just bend the cucumber in and out. And it's a great way to trellis your cucumber plants. You could also use this for tomatoes. This cage is pretty lightweight. So shorter pieces of rebar or a wooden post you just want to sink through there and you know hammer it in about a foot that will keep this secure so that the cucumber plants or whatever you're growing in there doesn't knock the cage over and you can see examples of those things that i used throughout this whole garden even the wood was repurposed you know just be creative Look to see what you have around. Go to flea markets, garage sales. You can repurpose so much. And again, here's the cage. But this time, I'm growing scalloped squash right up here. So this is a vining squash. I need to secure the bottoms with that rebar or wood stake, like I was saying. But I'll be able to grow vertically. So vertical growing will save you, um, well, saves you a lot of space. And it also helps you really manage pests and disease better, in my opinion. These structures were donated, even though they're not being used as a trellis, you could set them up with wire, like it is right in there, all over, and you could grow cucumber plants up this, you could grow um, pole beans, peas, all kinds of different plants. So again, think create, creatively. You're gonna find lots of objects um, that you could repurpose in so many ways. I'm not even sure what this was, but it's being used to trellis watermelon up it. It's really solid. So when you're doing heavier crops, like maybe pumpkins or watermelons, a structure just like this works well. Maybe somebody built this. This was here when we got here. But they just drilled holes in it, rebar across. We leaned it into a nice little tent. And we're going to grow the watermelon right up the side. And here's some other uses of the metal fencing. Instead of keeping it, you know, that cylinder, we unwound it mostly straight, secured it to T-posts, and we're just weaving tomato plants up there. So you can set something up just like this, or over here on this side, and you can grow all kinds of different plants through the space, because again, Make sure it's wide enough for your hand to get through. And this way, the fruit too, if you get really small holes, sometimes the fruit will grow in that hole. 
and it will expand and it will get cut by the wire. If you have a nice space like this, that's not gonna happen. Right now here, we just have potatoes growing, so nothing that needs to be trellised, but this is a cool design too. T-posts on both ends. You can pick this up in the plumbing section, it's PVC. It's, you know, set up so that you could put, you know, something straight through here. So we just took a pole, went all the way across to the other side, nice and solid. This is not gonna fall over and you can drop string down and then you can twist tomatoes around that string or other vining crops up the string and it creates a really nice trellis. And it's really, really inexpensive. It's really just the cost of a couple of T-posts, two pieces of PVC, look like that, and a pole long enough to connect whatever space you're working in. Your winter squash tend to vine more like butternut and acorn, so you can grow them up really large trellises. Your summer squash, your yellow squash, uh, green zucchini, zucchinis, they tend to bush more. They will trail a little bit, but you can also grow them vertically. Maybe something about three feet tall again, that nice wide space, but you can kind of guide them upward and it just makes it easier to get underneath, manage for pests and disease rather than letting the leaves come all the way out here. Sometimes the plant falls over and it just creates a haven for bugs. So you might want to just trellis your squash and zucchini up something just like that. Here's another section of trellises. And again, you can just create with what you have available. Just a couple of two by threes going up here, stringing it across, and that's for the pole beans. It doesn't have to be anything fancy. Standard posts, when you're screwing them into a framed bed, you wanna make sure you have wood that the screw can go deep into. If it was just into this piece from here to here, it's gonna be a little bit wobbly, and you want two screws going into there. Just secure it. And you don't wanna put a screw in that goes in this way, comes out this way and leaves a point because at some point you're gonna scratch your hand with it. So you wanna make sure the screw tip stays in the wood, but it has to be secured to something solid. Now, a lot of times we use the one by ones or the two by twos for stakes. You can kind of think out of the box. We have a ton of these boards. It's a cucumber plant. So I secured them right down there with three screws into a nice four by four and it's nice and solid. And I really like that look the cucumber plant will go straight up that. And the width of the board allows you to really just trellis a cucumber right through the string. I mean, that's something I just made in between this video. And I think it's really cool. But just keep in mind, you want your trellises to be really secure. If you're screwing them in with screws, at least two screws and don't let any points stick out. I don't want you to get cut. Here is my fabric pot garden. These are root pouches. I sell all of these at my seed shop. So basic tomato cage. I forget where I got these. I got them a long time ago. The bigger root pouches, the bigger fabric pots are deep enough to hold cages. So that's one thing to keep in mind is sometimes it's tricky of how do you support plants growing in fabric pots or containers? This one's deep enough. So I just sank this cage in. This is the concrete mesh that I was just showing you. I'm using it for bush beans and I'm using it for cucumbers and it fits nicely into this 150 gallon fabric pot. These bamboo posts are just hanging around there, but you can get six foot posts and they're used for many different things. I'll show you as we walk through. Standard tomato cages. These are thicker gauge. You really want to get the quality heavier gauge 
tomato cages for the tomato plants. I'll show you how I use some of those wimpier wire ones as we walk through. But just drop them in. That's going to support the tomatoes. I like taking those bamboo posts I was telling you about. And that is a 20-gallon fabric pot. Drop one in each side. There's two determinate tomatoes in there. And I just TP it off, tie it off right there. And that's plenty of support for all kinds of different crops growing through there. And when we spin around and just take a look in there, of course, you can use your fence, set up a strategy. You can see cucumbers growing up right there for trellising your different vine crops. Here's another section. This was a roll of just basic fencing, T-posts in there, and I just secure them in. And it creates a nice four-foot square. Well, this is a rectangle, but it's four feet wide. And you can go as high as you want. You can get T-posts in five feet, six feet, seven feet, eight feet, etc. And you can make the trellis, the wall, as high as you want. I have some acorn squash growing up that. This is the fabric, uh, I'm sorry, this is the concrete mesh secured to some T-posts. And that's how big it is when you buy it. You just buy a section just like that. That's going to be great for the butternut squash. In this section, I have these white wire racks. They are for closets. They're from Home Depot. They're 10 feet tall. They're not that expensive. These are on their third or fourth season. And I just secure them to a mini T-post. You could use a wooden stake. Okay. And they don't actually hold anything in your closet. Those wire racks are the biggest pain in the ass. Liam has a, a huge closet and it's full of those things and you can't put anything on them. You, you put anything more than five pounds on them and they fall down. It's ridiculous. They fall apart. I'm so excited to be using them in my garden now. I'm going to take all those things out of his closet and I'm going to put them in the garden. It's going to be great. Whatever you want, but secure it in. And I have different beans beginning to trellis right up the closet wire rack and they will last a long time. I also took that ladder mesh and I secured two pieces together right at top and I made a big rainbow. Now it's kind of flimsy. It's okay because it's secured to the closet rack, but you would want to drop a stake down in there and you can kind of just put beans up there. It'll move, but it'll look kind of cool. My favorite cattle panel, that's about $25 a panel. I get it at Tractor Supply. I think there's 16 feet long, four feet wide, but it's one piece and a big rainbow across. I secure it by just dropping it down wherever you want it to go. And you can see a stake put in there that keeps the cattle panel from pushing out. And you can just do that in different places. I have lots of examples of cattle panel as we walk through. This is your basic A-frame. I got this at a hardware store. There's no specific name to it, but if I pull this up, it just closes and you can just drop it wherever you want. Grow plants up one side, down the other. Some smaller closet wire rack secured to stakes. And these are bush cucumbers that are going to be growing right in there. Across the back, stake, stake, stake. Those are eight foot T-posts, again, from Tractor Supply. Some more wire racks and that just set up nine tomato plants i'm growing beans up the wire racks also have fencing if i need it but all those plants down there are taken care of you can get pvc 
two foot and then two foot pieces of rebar. I'll show you an example in a second. But you just put the rebar in, and then the PVC pipe will go right onto it, and we'll keep it in place. Use the 10-foot piece of wire mesh, wove the PVC between it, and this will be great for a cucumber plant. It moves a little bit, but it'll be solid, or beans, or whatever you want to trellis up there. So it makes, makes a nice little arch. Cattle panel used to create an arch in a four-foot walking space. Three T-posts, I think they were five-foot T-posts sunk in, and you just secure the cattle panel to that. Because it's so big, it wants to, let me get the shadow out of the way, it wants to spring out. So by putting in the T-posts here, here, and here, the cattle panel's pushing that way, and it, these will keep them in place. I have cucumbers growing up that way. Various T-posts other kinds of posts and then I just put wire across there and I'm going to weave my tomato plants up there. You can use this for all kinds of different plants. I like this design but it's not as uh, mobile as some of the other ones. Once you set it up it sort of has to stay there. Your basic plastic covered pieces of metal, those posts are fine, nothing fancy. These are the wimpy tomato cages. They don't do much. So I like using them for peppers. Peppers need support. So if it's the, the thinner wired cages, I don't know if that's a lower gauge or a higher gauge, but anyway, it's skinnier wire. That's not gonna really hold a tomato plant, but they are great for pepper plants. And I just dropped one in each of my containers and I will trellis the peppers through that. Spinning around this way, this is just some funky creation. Be creative. When I pull the garlic out, I will be growing different things up there. And if you lift this up, you can see how I put the rebar in first, and then I just drop the PVC on. And this might be probably half inch PVC. You can get it on all kinds of heights. It's easy to cut. That is something I made out of railing. That's all pre-made, one side. That side and that side are pre-made. And I put hinges on it and this is a heavy duty trellis made out of the railing for decks you can pick that up at home depot and i'll be growing melons up that if you're at a garage sale or something you find a ladder that ladder is 15 dollars. that will be used for trellising also wooden posts just staked into the ground and then that 10 foot piece of ladder mesh was just weaved right through that. And I'll be growing beans up that most likely. You can go with your classic. So based on what we learned in the beginning of the show, I'd say this guy is using electroculture and didn't even realize it. Look how much wood he is interweaving between metal. Well, he's not using the copper wire. I think a lot of that metal is probably zinc, um, steel. I mean, you know, lots of different metals can work, not iron, but, uh, it, it's so easy to, to use the copper wire in this too and turn it into a full electroculture garden. I would love to see him do that and see how much bigger his, his plants would grow because they are huge right now. Wooden stakes. One goes in the ground straight through. Put the other ones at an angle through there and through there and then tie them off. That's plenty sturdy enough. <laughs> That's even the right way to say that. And you can see the beauty 
of the green beans growing right up there. All right, let's go to some other places. Right over here, a piece of cattle panel dropped into the raised bed right there, raised bed right in there. And then when I added in the dirt, that secures that cattle panel. It's trying to spring out, but you can see it goes right into the raised bed. The sides are really high. That cattle panel is not going to go anywhere. And it moves a little bit, but that will never fall over. And just look at all the peas that it's helping take care of. I have to harvest all of those. From this side, I took two pieces of cattle panel and I just made a tunnel basically. And I'm growing cherry tomatoes up the side, on the left right there, and on the right right there. It's all gonna be cherry tomatoes growing up through there. And for this one, I designed it a little bit different. I built this structure right here and just put two two by fours on the side and left the gap going all the way across that I could just drop the cattle paddle into. If I want to disassemble it, I just pop them out of there and it works really, really well. This got screwed into the raised bed there. This is my asparagus. T-post right over there. T-posts are your best friend in the garden. T-post right there. And this is all metal wire. Piece there, piece right there, another piece down there. And I just wrapped it around the outside of the asparagus, pulled it tight, and now the asparagus is being managed just like that. You know, obviously I did this when it was smaller, but you set this up and then you just guide the asparagus through the gap. Couple more uses of the A-frames. They will open up as wide as you want and they will collapse flat. So you can drop them in different places. I gotta, actually the melons are getting out of control. Gotta weave the melons up there. So I'm weaving the melons up the A-frame trellis and then back down again and then they will trellis through this space once I clean it up a little bit. If you need a really large trellising solution, these are telescoping poles I got at Tractor Supply. These are hop spines on here. I think they get about 18 feet tall and you can telescope them down to about six feet. Anyway, purple martin birdhouses would go on top of here. These are about 40 bucks and that's what they're for, but I repurposed them for growing my hop spines. These are blackberries. You can see the white string going across, you know, Classic eight-foot T-post in there. String all the way across to the T-post right there. And I just weave the brambles right through. It keeps them in place. And just look at all those blackberries. All right, one more garden. This is the same fencing that I built a trellis out of. These rectangles are a little bit small. I can't get my whole hand through here, but good enough. If a cucumber was sitting in there, you got to make sure you pop it out because it will expand and these bars will cut into it. But this is a really um, functional size piece of fencing that you can use for different things. Those are potatoes growing in there. Here is my other garden. And you can see another cattle panel arch that I built there. Stuff, of course, is trellising up the fence, but beans over there are trellising up the cattle panel arch. Classic posts, you just put in your posts. I'm tying tomatoes up that. Also, if I were going to grow beans or something, I would just put string through here, grow the beans up that. But I wanted to show you, like I picked this up. If I didn't have a fence behind there, this was found at a thrift shop for like three bucks. And you can just sink 
whatever you find in different places right into the ground that's perfect just to give that cucumber plant some support it may need a bigger trellis later but smaller trellises really support the plants at the root system the first couple of feet and that will keep you from accidentally maybe pulling or breaking you know the plant off too close to the root tomato cages two of them in there for bush cucumbers the tp setup that i talked about earlier that works really well that's a 10 gallon container and then sometimes you have to kind of double up and i think we'll end here this is a stronger wire cage these are eggplant eggplant get really big so the wire cage will help manage the lower part of the eggplant keep it nice and secure but then you're going to need another post coming up because this plant will continue to grow so you can mix and match your different types of posts and cages and trellises to support your plants so i keep a barrel hole in the bottom so water doesn't fill in and i drop in sticks that look good you know broken stakes bamboo posts whatever i just throw in there i use these for trellising throughout the garden we'll use these often to grow peas up tree branches are great for peas hope this gives you some idea of how you can inexpensively and creatively create trellises and supports in your garden just want to show you real quick over here are tea posts i buy them in bundles just like that have them all over the garden and they just really help me set up and manage tomato plants. They're worth spending the extra six bucks to get a metal T-post from Tractor Supply. They're gonna last forever. Thanks so much for watching. Please check out my seed shop at therustedgarden.com and I will put a link for the t-shirt in the video description. Thanks again. Okay, so T-posts don't actually last forever, by the way. Um, if they uh, sit in water too long, they, they will break. Um, I learned that with our gator fencing when our lake got so big that it basically yeah, soaked them for like six months. Yeah, no, they, they do break. They don't last forever. But as long as you don't have that happen, you should be okay. So, um, all right. I have one more video I want to show you guys. I don't know if I'm going to play the whole thing. Yeah, maybe. It is 40 minutes. So, um, but it's, it's really interesting and it kind of ties together electroculture and Tartaria. Remember I said that it, electroculture goes back way further than just like this, the 1800s. Um, check this out. Hi everyone. Today I'm going to talk about electroculture. I just discovered this system of gardening called electroculture gardening and I was just thinking it kind of ties into the Tower of Babel and the hidden history information you know everybody in that community talks about technology associated with buildings and different structures that are on top of buildings and the way the buildings have built the shapes there were the bricks that you could use as batteries or energy sources. And so I came across this system of gardening, electroculture. It was popular in the 1700s. They have a lot of photos from this period where they experimented with electroculture. And 
what it basically is is using metal or wires or structures to take the ions from the atmosphere and put them into the earth which helps promote bigger plant growth and it got me thinking that perhaps these hidden history buildings and even the tower of babel or the pyramids people say that they are structures or buildings built to harness energy that perhaps they were just simply about harnessing energy to grow crops as all of these societies were based on agriculture in the old days the most important thing and even today the most important thing is food and shelter and for societies to grow their own food and have abundant food to feed the population was the prime agenda for anyone really we see this in genesis where adam is cursed to till the ground and from that point on the prime objective of humans was to grow crops and have an agricultural society to feed themselves and to feed people and this is where these big civilizations grew up around agriculture because the powers of the time that realized they could control people and nations by controlling the food production and it's no different today what we have is a dictatorship that is controlling our food production and our shelter via a financial system however we are all including this 1% dictatorship are at the mercy of the elements and this is why they are obsessed with controlling them we see this in the story of joseph in egypt and the seven years of fat and the seven years of famine how joseph warned the egyptians to store up food for seven years of famine and everybody in that region in the land came down to egypt for food so controlling the harvest or controlling the abundance of that harvest and the size of that harvest would be extremely beneficial and even in thinking along these lines it makes me wonder if the chemtrailing and the barium and strontium and all the minerals that they're putting in the air with the chemtrailing has anything to do with stopping these ions from giving us abundant growth so that we perhaps might buy genetically modified seeds or um roundup ready seeds and be tied into a agricultural system that is run by a big corporation i mean i'm no scientist so i don't understand how this would work but when you have a look or google these elements they all tied in with ions and electrons and so you know they're doing something up there along these lines 
So I'm just going to show a few videos here on how the electricity in the atmosphere works in regards to electroculture. Okay, well, um, I want to show you just a little uh, practical demonstration. You can do this if you have some clay soil uh, near where you are. You can do the same experiment with a regular uh, battery, like a 9-volt battery would work, and just some uh, wire. Um, what I've got here, this is uh, bentonite. So this is a Montmorillonite <clears throat> smectite we've seen in our, um, uh, in our text. And I've added some water to it. It's pretty thick. Uh, it's absorbed a huge amount of, uh, of water. And you'll recall that uh, the inner layer spaces in Montmorillonite can absorb, uh, can, can hold water. And so this is, a, this is a version of that. And I've added lots and lots of water to that. Um, but you will remember that we assume that something like Montmorillonite has about 100 centimoles of charge per kilogram of soil. Uh, so it has a negative charge on it. What we want to do is, is see if that's really true or not. So we've got a, a battery here. This side is the positive side. This side is the negative side, the negative post. So what we're going to do is we're going to put both of these uh, into this solution here. And you need to be uh, thinking about which one of these will have soil sticking to it, have uh, this particular kind of soil sticking to it when we pull it out. Which one will attract soil? Remember, the soil is negatively charged. Okay, Soil is negatively charged. So will it uh, attach itself to the positively charged wire? Will it attach itself to the negatively charged uh, wire? We'll come back in just a sec and, and take a look at which one, uh, which one attracts the soil and which one repels the soil. Okay, we'll let this sit for, uh, for about 45 minutes. Um, now we're going to pull these out. Remember, again, this is our uh, negative post. This is our positive post. The soil is negatively charged. So we're going to pull out this uh, negative side first. Comes out pretty easily, and it's pretty clean. Positive post will pull this thing out. Whoa, okay, look at that. It's got a huge amount of, uh, of bentonite attached to it. And that makes sense, right? Because this is the positive post. The soil is negatively charged. Positive and negative attract each other. This is the negative post, negatively charged soil. So we have a repulsion, a repelling uh, of, that, uh, of that soil away from this negatively charged uh, post. So that, again, that's just an example, a real practical example to show us that soil is indeed negatively charged, has a negative charge uh, on it. So that video there was in regards to the electrical charge of the earth or the ground itself. And in the next video, we're going to have a look at the electric charge of the atmosphere. In science, it's taught that the atmosphere has an electric potential gradient with a vertical electric field of about 100 volts per meter. So if someone was a little over six foot tall, there'd be electrical potential difference of about 200 volts between the ground and the top of their head. The air being positive and the ground being negative. So I set up an experiment to see what can be detected in this electric field.
the way I have this experiment set up is first I have a ground, then wired through an electric meter and out to a conductor on this non-conductive pole. When the conductor is raised, it'll be traveling through the vertical electric field in the air and we'll see what kind of electric we can detect on the meter. The black negative test probe from the meter is connected to the earth ground and the red positive is connected up to the conductor. So when the conductor is raised up from the ground, a small current should flow from the earth ground through the meter and out to the conductor. This is just a cheap meter I got from Harbor Freight quite a few years ago. It's set on millivolts. Turn it on. I have it neutralized on the ground and I'll raise it up. And it showed like a charge on it to go up. And I'll let it back down. A little charge on to come down to uh, neutralize it on the ground again. I drew out this experiment to try to explain a little better. The ground is considered to be negatively charged and the air positive. And for every one meter above, there's a hundred volt potential difference. And as you go greater height, the potential difference is greater. The way this meter operates on DC is that when you have the polarities of what you're testing oriented correctly for the meter, it will read a plain positive number. If the DC polarities are connected backwards, a negative sign will appear before the number. DC electric flows from the negative to the positive. So if the ground is negative and the air is positive and I raise this conductor in the air, the current is gonna to wanna to flow from the ground up to the conductor in the air and it should register correctly on the meter. But if the current was flowing the other way, you'd see a negative sign in front of the number. So when the conductor is up in the air and the current has stopped flowing, it would be like a charge capacitor at a higher voltage potential up here than if it was down here. And when you lower the conductor back down here again, where the potential difference is different, the excess charge that was up in the conductor is now going to want to flow backwards back into the ground. And that's when you'll see that negative sign in front of the number. Raise her up. And show the charge one to go up again. Now let her back down. And show the charge coming down. Now neutralize it again. Go back up again.
and let it back down. And neutralize it. And now down. Neutralize it out on the ground. It's just a tiny bit. Although the meter used didn't register hundreds of volts, more sensitive equipment would have been needed for that. There was detection in the millivolt range and an indication of a tiny charge that wanted to move up and down as I moved that conductor up and down. The electricity in the experiment out there is different than the electricity I'm receiving in my antenna power experiment that you see going on behind me. My antenna energy is from man-made EM waves that produce an AC current between the antenna and the ground. In the experiment outside, we're detecting a natural DC potential difference that exists between the air and the ground. It's like a big capacitor, and with a higher elevation, you get a higher electrical potential difference. So basically, this guy just proved the existence of ether, if y'all didn't catch that. Okay. He, he literally proved the existence of ether. Um, I want to get to this uh, some of this history stuff my video that I made about the Tower of Babel and how the bricks in the ziggurats of Mesopotamia were a casing of fired mud bricks on the outside and wet unfired mud bricks on the inside and that clay and bricks has the potential to store or hold energy or be used in some way as a conductor of energy. The Euphrates River and the Nile River would flood annually and bring in a whole lot of new nutrients coming out from the mountains and from under the ground, minerals. And this region where they would grow their crops would be flooded and replenish the nutrients. But in doing that, the ziggurat would absorb internally the water from the flood from the Euphrates and possibly, in theory, reactivate these bricks and this system that could have been used to draw this energy out of the atmosphere, just as the hidden history buildings may have been used for the same reason. I'm just hypothesizing here. And if we look at it in this context, perhaps the ancient Mesopotamians knew about collecting the ions or the energy from the positively charged atmosphere and bringing them down into the ground to grow better crops, to grow bigger crops and to feed the nations around and to draw them into their city system structure, just as we are today. People are drawn to the city because we have a comfortable life. Living off the land is not comfortable. Living off the land is work and toil and living in the city is comfortable. And we tend to let other people do that hard work for us and produce our food. Although in doing that, we've disconnected ourselves from 
our ability to produce our own food, therefore giving power to the leaders of the nations and the world, and in this time the leaders of Babylon and Egypt, to supply us with food and therefore control every aspect of our life. So when you look into the electroculture gardening, it said that trees and forests and plants that grow within the region of the aurora borealis grow much larger and greener and healthier because of the electricity in the atmosphere and the ions in the atmosphere. So we do see that in a lot of Alaskan gardening videos where people grow huge vegetables and even the forests in those regions grow huge and green. Hi there, I'm David Wexler, founder of electricfertilizer.com, and I'm passionate about resurrecting the lost science of electroculture. What started for me as something I came across back in high school has turned into an almost decade-long journey into the art and science of growing plants with electricity. Today, I'd like to give you a brief introduction to the world of electroculture. Most people know that plants respond to watering, sunlight, and good soil. But did you know that plants also respond to electric fields? While mankind has always been seeking ways to improve the growth of their crops, it's been since the late 1700s that scientists have started using electricity as a means of improving crop output. Through the application of electric fields to plants, soil, or even the air surrounding the plant, we can induce massive physiological changes that include the improvement of growth rate, yields, flavor, disease resistance, and more. Take a look at this concept map I've put together. On the left, we show some of the benefits upon soils like improved nitrogen fixation activity and enhanced growth of beneficial bacteria. On the right, we show many of the effects upon plant life like improved germination, yield increases, and disease resistance. I imagine you'd like to see some examples. Starting with the bottom left, you can see an old Arabidopsis plant experiment where there's a growth increase from the application of source voltage to the wires. On the top left, you can see high voltage treated bean plants have stems that are taller than the non-electrified ones next to them. On the top right, you can see some young seedlings where the top set was electrified with five volts, and you can see the effects of faster early stage growth rate and a more consistent growth across all of the samples. Lastly, on the bottom right, you can see the effect of three and a half volts upon a different set of young seedlings. Beyond the increase in leaf size, you can see a substantial increase in root mass. So there you have it, a very brief introduction to electroculture. To learn more, stay tuned for more videos or visit us at electricfertilizer.com. So when you look at the ancient bones of animals and plants, everything was huge, everything was bigger. And it makes you wonder what the conditions on earth were like in those days in the sense of the atmosphere and whether electrically and magnetically it was in a different form or state that allowed these creatures to grow so large. It's even said that people in those days were a lot bigger and this is probably where we get these legends of the giants from that people grew to a much bigger stature so everything was big there was a lot more oxygen in the atmosphere and 
uh, electrically there was a different scenario than we have today that seems to have changed with the timing of the flood of Noah spoken of in the Bible and in other ancient texts like the Sumerians and lots of other cultures around the world talk about a great flood. And we can see in the Bible that at this time, Noah was given different diet instructions. So it would appear that genetically people were different and the earth was in a different state and there was a different atmosphere. In Numbers 13 verse 23, where the spies go down into Canaan to spy out the land, the promised land, it says, And they came unto the brook of Eshel and cut down from thence a branch with one cluster of grapes, and they bare it between two upon a staff, and they brought of the pomegranates and of the figs. The place was called the brook of Eshel because of the cluster of grapes which the children of Israel cut down from thence. And in verse 27 they say, And they told him and said, We came unto the land whither thou sentest us, and surely it floweth milk and honey, and this is the fruit of it. And in verse 33 it says, And there were, and there we saw the giants, the sons of Anak, which come of the giants, and we were in our own sight as grasshoppers, and so we were in their sight. So uh, I don't think they were literally the size of grasshoppers, but obviously these people were very large and the spies that went down there were frightened of the height and size of these people. And this is just a, a euphemism that they're using here, obviously. But that being said, the fruit in this land was growing to large proportions and the people of this land were growing in large proportions and it just makes you wonder whether there was something going on here in regards to electromagnetism or the earth and where this land was positioned in those days when you consider in the electroculture gardening that they talk of the aurora borealis or regions within the aurora borealis being high growth areas due to the electromagnetism in this blog here it's talking about electroculture and it's um it goes on to say did you know that the british government spent the 20 years between the first and second world wars investigating the possibilities of electrifying plants and did so in almost complete secrecy I wonder why they did it in secrecy. Maybe they found something out and didn't want the rest of the world to know about it. Although Benjamin Martin's perpetual electrification machine that I wrote about last week disappeared without a trace, it clearly did not stop research and publication about the effects of electricity on plants continuing on both sides of the channel. And less than 100 years later, the Farmer's Guide to Scientific and Practical Agriculture announced that Electricity may be classed among special manures, and that was only just the start. In France, for example, in the late 1770s, the wonderfully named Bernard Germain Etienne de la Ville sur Ilon, that's a mouthful, began some experiments watering plants with water, which, as he put it, had been impregnated with electrical fluid. 
He published a 700-page long essay on electricity in 1781, which reports his findings that the germination of seeds and sprouting of bulbs was quicker when plants were electrified. They grew with more vigour than usual. There were other French would-be electricians too, notably the Abbe Pierre Berthelon, who had already written about the benefits of electricity and health and other related subjects. Now he too tried watering plants with electrified water delivered from an insulated barrel on a trolley that could be trundled along by the gardener between the rows. You remember the story of Benjamin Franklin flying a kite to attract lightning. Well, that's what Berthelon aimed to replicate. He set up miniature lightning conductors to collect electricity from the atmosphere and then distributed the charge via wires across the garden. Don't ask how precisely... It was too complicated to read and translate 18th century technical French, but the image below should give you the general idea. But things really start to buzz again in the 1840s when the whole new generation of experiments began to test out new theories and report their findings in serious journals. This was probably due to the intention of what was called an earth battery by Alexander Bain in 1841. Bain's device operated on the same principle as a modern battery except the zinc and copper plates were put into the soil and connected above ground by wires. Plants grown in the area between the two plates grew faster and yielded more. Electroculture on the application of the free electricity of the atmosphere to the more vigorous growth of plants. In 1844, Robert Foster, a Scottish landowner of Findrassi near Elgin, used what he termed atmospheric electricity to substantially boost his barley crop. The details were reported in the British Cultivator in March 1845, local newspaper across the country and letters on agricultural improvement by John Joseph Mecky, who added that Foster was still indefatigably employed in collecting electroculture facts from our most eminent electricians. Okay, I'm going to stop her there because uh, this is getting painful. Great information. Difficult to listen to. Anyway, um, but there's the science behind it. So um, I don't know about you, but I'm excited. I'm going to go try it. I'm excited to build my garden out of uh, things that I've repurposed. I'm going to see about getting some uh, cattle panels. Um make some arches. I think that'll be really good to help support the bird netting as well to keep the chickens out of the garden area because uh, that's going to be very necessary. I need to keep the chickens out. So I've got some like chicken netting fencing that I'm going to put across the front sections of the garden so that they can't get through, but I need something to go up and over as well. So I think those cattle panels uh, on the open side that's not next to the coop is going to work great. Of course, on the coop side, I can just put the bird netting down from the coop down to the fence and it'll be fine. But uh, yeah, those cattle panels I think are, are going to be key. And uh, again, I've got all kinds of other stuff out there that I'm going to utilize. We're going to make the most out of a little bit of space. Um, but I think right now I'm going to go uh, strip some copper wire out of some plastic sheathing and wrap some um, sticks from my yard in it and stick them in my container gardens. I've got a bunch of tomatoes out there that 
basically seeded themselves from, you know, tomatoes that fell before I got them. And um, so I took those seedlings and put them in other pots and I've got some huge winter tomatoes growing right now. And I bet they're about to get even bigger. And um, I'm going to pull the shelving out of my kid's closet and use that. And we're going to be building a garden this week. So it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm really excited. So we will be back, Mick and I, tomorrow with True Spiracy. Uh, I have a lot of ideas as to what to talk about on True Spiracy. Haven't narrowed it down yet. So um, maybe the Book of Enoch, maybe the uh, a deep dive back into the Ingersoll Lockwood website, um, or maybe the revival in Asbury. What do you guys think? You want to cover the revival? Revivals? Or um, the Book of Enoch for Church Sunday? Or do a deep dive into the Ingersoll Lockwood website? Because I know stuff's changed over there. Let me know. Let me know in the comments. Let me know in the chat. Uh, let me know in the Telegram chat. And uh, we'll go from there. Of course, once again, all the videos I played today will be available in the Substack that will be out at some point tomorrow. Um, so you can get that at patriotpartypod.substack.com. We'll be back with Truspiracy tomorrow at 1 p.m. Eastern. And then of course, uh, back for the Patriot Party podcast on Monday at 6 p.m. or 5.45 for Liana's Lounge. And um, let's see. Oh, our featured sponsor for the day and an update on Heather. So... Let's see. I was supposed to go out to her house this morning, but since both of my kids have had the sniffles, I didn't want to risk bringing anything over to her. So, uh, but she said she has been feeling, uh, she's had more energy in the last like three days, four days than she's had in the last four months. Um, within three days of starting the protocol that we put her on of eggs, distilled water on the cardio miracle with high dose vitamin C and high dose vitamin D. Um, she's like, it's, it's amazing. She said she, she cooked breakfast and dinner. She did the dishes, she did the laundry and she worked a full day. And when you're jab injured, that is incredible. So, uh, cardio miracle, I'm telling you guys that cardio miracle is amazing. We use it every single day. We've been using it for two months. Um, we, we have now, accepted an affiliation with them because we have been using it for two months and we absolutely love it. Mick doesn't necessarily like the taste of it so much. Um, I actually use the high dose vitamin C and high, high dose vitamin D mixed with it. And I really like the taste of it that way without the vitamin C and vitamin D. I see where he's coming from. So actually that's why I have this uh, cold fusion, like herbal tea bag in there with the cardio miracle just gives a little extra flavor. Anyway, uh, you can go to defiantmiracle.com and get some Cardio Miracle for yourself. You save 15% when you sign up for the auto ship. Um, it's so well worth it. And then you don't ever miss it because if you if you do, like if you start it and then you forget to go, you know, you don't sign up for the auto ship because you want to try it and you forget to go and purchase it the next month, trust me, you will miss it. You will notice really quick. You're like, oh shit, I really need to go buy that Cardio Miracle. So just sign up for the auto ship. Save 15% on every every month and uh, they'll just, you know, charge your credit card and send it right to you and uh, go to defiantmiracle.com and pick that up. So that's it. And thank you guys for tuning into Freedom Gardens. And we will be back next week with episode four. 
Until then, have a great day. I don't wanna act too high and mighty cause tomorrow I may fall down on my face. Lord, thank you for sunshine, thank you for rain, thank you for joy, thank you for pain. It's a beautiful day, it's a beautiful day.